Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Climbing the Coaching Ladder. Today, we actually have our first head coach for the pod, head coach, uh, Brown University, Monique LeBlanc. Thank you for hopping on today, coach. Um, So we've had a bunch of assistant coaches on so far, and just, I think, for this to kind of take it to a whole nother level. I want to have a head coach on and just hear a head coach's perspective, your journey, how you got there to where you are today. Um, so you were one of the first people that popped in mind just from our conversations from when I was a high school coach. And even just as a, once I made the move to college, um, we've always had great conversations and I appreciated the job you've done um, at Merrimack and now at Brown. So excited to kind of just hear more of your journey and um, share with our listeners just some more insight on that. Yeah, well, thanks again, Derek, for having me. And I also always have loved our conversations. It was always fun coming to see your team at Putnam and just being able to pick things up as a coach, uh, you know, not just there to evaluate, but also like, I really like this press that they've been into um, or, you know, a drill that you guys were using in practice. And I love that that was able to spur our conversations beyond just uh, players of yours that we were interested in, but then just also talking in the game of basketball. And when you can do that organically with people, it's really fun. So um, great to be here today with you and excited to be talking some more basketball. Um, My journey is starting (laughs) to feel, you know, longer and longer ago that I got started. But I think like most young coaches, you know, I just kind of got started by taking a leap and and going two feet in. So I actually started in compliance just because I wanted to become a graduate assistant and get a free master's and get in an athletics department. So um, I applied to a bunch of like basketball GA positions around the country, but then also just other athletic department positions. And that's, that's how I got in, um, took the first offer I got. And off I went. Um, And so from there, just, you know, a mix of probably like most people's stories, a mix of, um, you know, some luck of, you know, just being in the right place at the right time, I was able to kind of slide into the the basketball graduate assistant position where I was out of compliance. And um, that was really fortunate timing, of course. And, um, you know, a mix of like, really putting your head down and working, but also getting out there and and talking to others and building a network. so, yeah, I was fortunate to go back and work at my alma mater, Bucknell University, as an assistant. And I know that a lot of coaches have had a chance to do that. It's really special. You obviously have a different connection and investment in that situation. So that was really great. And, um, you know, also a place where I felt confident and comfortable, right? So sometimes that allows for more growth because you really feel like you really understand the system or the head coach or the university. So you feel like you really know what you're doing and um, you have that confidence to grow and take some risks. And then, um, you know, I was able to move up. And I think that with assistant coaches playing different roles. So at that time, being the recruiting coordinator was really important as a next step for me and um, has really helped me now as I'm the head coach at an Ivy League institution um, because where I was recruiting, we recruited nationally and I made a lot of connections all around the country. So, um, my previous head coaching stop at Merrimack, we did a lot more regional recruiting and I didn't necessarily, um, need to lean on those contacts as much, as much as it was still great to hear about their talented players. Uh, 
the college I worked at just had more regional, a more regional student body and not just an athletic. So, um, but now coming into the Ivy League and of course recruiting nationally and even internationally, it's great to have these, these recruiting contacts. So that was a great, uh, last stop for me before becoming a head coach and then whew, becoming a head coach. Um, you know, I think at every level, people can understand that experience of like, am I ready for this? Do I know what I'm doing? Um, you know, what are my philosophies behind all of these different things? And the truth is, I don't know if anybody really has all of that figured out until they're in that seat and they've had some time. Um, and I know for me, like, I can't just, you know, rattle off my philosophy about basketball to you. Um, it's constantly growing and I think evolving, but I, I like the word growing more. I think it's just a reflection of you know, the biggest part of my philosophy is to have a growth mindset and keep learning. So, um, you know, my philosophy about best recruiting practices might change from, you know, five years ago to now and same thing with offense and defense and other X's and O's. But yeah, so I was fortunate to be a, uh, a head coach at Merrimack College for 10 years and that was um, beyond a great warm up to becoming a Division One head coach. I think that what a talented conference the the Northeast Ten was, uh, while Merrimack was still Division Two. And I often talk about coaching against some really high level coaches. You know, Barbara Stevens now in the Hall of Fame, but so many other coaches in that conference that had been there for twenty plus years um, and just were so good and so difficult to coach against, you know, really tactical and skilled. And um, so I learned an incredible amount in terms of, you know, game execution and preparation from that experience as a head coach. And then it was certainly nice to go into transition into division one, those last couple of years uh, prior yeah, to coming and, I mean, I have so many questions for you just as you were talking about it, but just you touching on the NE10 yeah. and, I've told anyone I could tell um, now that Stonehill's making that jump. I was like, don't people that don't like people that are in the business understand or just have been around New England basketball and know yeah. that those any 10 programs and teams. But anyone that would listen to me, I'd say just watch Stonehill. Like it might take them a little bit, but they're going to be perfectly fine their first year in the, in the NEC individual in basketball, yeah. just because I mean, the job that, um, coach has done there for however long she's been forever. Um, and just that league is so tough. Um, and even resource, even resource wise, so tough, I think, yeah. and I remember having this conversation with you, um, when I, when I brought a recruit up to campus at Merrimack and you guys had just found out, I think like literally like maybe like a week after that or a week before that you, you found out <laughs> you were going to division one and you had kind of asked me like just my thoughts on, those schools in the NEC, I was like, you guys will be fine. Like just with what Merrimack had to offer the resources right. already, the league you were coming from. Um, I just, I've always loved the NE 10 yep. and I just think it's such great basketball and. Uh, great league. Yeah. So skilled, you know, the players in the NE 10 um, that really stood out to me immediately. It was just like the skill level and IQ and really these players reflecting all of those great coaches in that league and we actually scrimmaged Stonehill earlier, you know, this season. And um, I was not surprised one bit by how they were as a team, just because, as you mentioned, they've got a great coach and Trish Brown, and they really reflected her style of play, which, you know, I became quite accustomed to being in the NE10. Like, 
really good defensively, hard nose, going to play tough, um, run their system really well, don't make a lot of mistakes. So, yes, uh, you're so right that it's a, a great league and that uh, so many teams in that league are prepared for that jump like like we did. And uh, like Yeah, because um, I, know, I know you're from – New England, but so you got the head coaching job at Merrimack. How aware were you of the NE10 and just how difficult of a league it was when you got that job? Yeah, so uh, growing up in New England, as you as you mentioned, um, I remember there was a player my same age in high school, and I didn't play against her. She went to King Philip Regional High School, which is mm-hmm. in like the Plainville, Rentham area in Massachusetts and I was at Bishop Fian. We didn't play against each other, but she was a really good player. She was always in the newspapers too. And um I remember learning that she had committed to Bentley and that it was division two. And like everybody's reaction was like, wow, like she could easily play division one. And I think that really summarizes a lot of players in that league that um that's just how how close that conference is. Um, and then on top of that so, so that's when I first learned about the NE10, and I was recruited by um, UMass Lowell, who was in the NE10 at that time, um, and just knew it was a great, great league. Um, but, you know, then going into that league and seeing all of the Division One transplants was, you know, also really something uh, to consider because, you know, I remember our last few years in the NE10, you know, just going to play St. Anselm and they have Shannon Ryan who transferred from Boston College. (laughs) You know, you just know that you are playing really, really good players. Um, This is, this is no, no average division. Yeah. So you get the head coaching job at Merrimack. Were you someone as you, cause your career progressed pretty quick um, to the point of getting a head coaching job. Were you someone that you always had it on your mind? You wanted to be a head coach or did it kind of just happen organically? Yeah, I did always have that on my mind. I actually got to be a head coach uh, for a JV basketball team my first year out of college. Um, you know, that was my like fun little side gig to my corporate job. And I just loved it so much. And it was really challenging, you know, uh, being a head coach. And I was, you know, really glad to have that experience. But it sort of, you know, got me excited about that. Um, just having had that experience and knowing how great it felt to be a head coach, um, that excitement level. So as an assistant, I felt like I was sort of always wanting to prepare for that and work towards yeah. that. And so when you first get to Merrimack, how did you, when did it hit you that, cause you, you had touched on it kind of in your, your intro of like, until you're in that seat, you don't really know um, what exactly you got yourself into and, I remember as soon as I was my um, my head coach at Georgian Court, Jazz Perazic, she always said, like, you you can be an assistant for as long as you want, but until you're the one in charge, you really don't know what it feels like to be in that position. And you can do everything, but you can only prepare so much because it's a completely different role. And what were some things that once you became a head coach that you kind of realized that I'm learning on the job a little bit when it comes to this? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm sure it was instantaneous. Um, But, you know, I think of examples like being an assistant coach, and I'm sure most of us like to look back and think that we were pretty good assistant coaches. And like, I think about 
you know, seeing how another team was defending us and me, you know, at a timeout telling my boss, like, they're defending this diagonal screen like this. If we just change it to this, this, and this, like, we'll we'll beat their defense and we should be able to score out of this play. And her being like, ah, uh, you know, oh, okay. And, you know, maybe you're thinking, like, does she not, you know, see what I see or, you know, trust me here? But when you are a head coach, you realize that, like, that's our jobs as coaches to notice these things and see these changes that, you know, we might be able to make. But, you know, is our team prepared to make all of those changes in this moment, in this game effectively? Um, and so I think that, like, that was a big one for me is learning, you know, how many reps and time spent at practice are behind executing something at a high level, are behind making your great ideas actually great uh, in the moment of execution. And so uh, that that was something that I remember just like learning how much it took to turn great ideas into, you know, great moments on the basketball court. Um, and I remember also being able to hire one assistant and really feeling caught between, okay, I've got one person. I need somebody who has high energy, who doesn't mind being on the phone all the time because we've got to hustle and recruiting and somebody that wants to, you know, live at the office and always talk basketball with me. And, you know, somebody who watches a lot of basketball so we can talk basketball and wanting like that person. And then also, you know, having the self-awareness of like, I'm a first time head coach and I don't know what I don't know. And I kind of want to go get this like 30 year veteran high school coach in the area who's like maybe semi-retired that might want to help me out, you know? And I remember feeling kind of caught between those two things. Um, and, and just like, you know, in that moment, understanding like, you know, how much support you yeah, need. So who did you end coach. up hiring? <laughs> <laughs> so my, uh, <laughs> right. What a cliffhanger. Um, my first assistant ever that I hired, um, you know, and I knocked it out of the park was Julian Asibe. Uh, he's now an assistant coach at the University of Florida, and he's done really, really well because he's really good. Um, so uh, he's someone that I had met while recruiting out West, um, and he was out West at the same time. And we had just had one of those, like we were talking about earlier, Derek, like one of those really great organic basketball conversations um, that neither one of us was trying to make a connection or, um, you know, just like try, trying to, you know, overdo it. It was just really, really natural. And, um, we really hit it off. So, um, he was my first hire and a great hire at that. Um, and we both just were like, all right, we don't know what we're doing, but we are going to, you know, we, we know we're going to really work work our butts off and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to study and we're going to, you know, make up for all the things that we don't know by just our willingness to, to learn. So it was a great. Yeah. So was, was Blake with you on your, your first year? Yeah. Yeah. So then that was like, the next one was like, okay, there's two of us. And like, that's great, but can we by chance get a third? And at the time it was like, well, you can, if you can find someone to volunteer and we were like, okay. Great. Say less, you know, we're, we'll go, we'll go try to find someone great. And um, Blake actually reached out to me and he was just, you know, fresh out of college himself, super willing to do whatever he had to do to get the foot in the door. And, you know, I could relate to that feeling. And, um, you know, I remembered my own, like, I'm willing to move anywhere to get my foot in the door. So um, I just loved his, his passion and how he 
was willing to drive his car up the coast from uh, his college in North Carolina. And he was literally like, you know, I'll see you, see you in a week or so. Um, so yeah, that was a great staff. I mean, to this day, the three of us will still, you know, send each other a, a picture when it comes up on like Facebook memories or something and be like, remember these days, you know, those were the days. And so, um, yeah, really yeah, I was joking. Time, we, he was on our last episode and I was joking around with him. I was like, so when you took that job at Merrimack, did you know that your wife's first game as a division one head coach would be against your former boss? And he was like, I hated it. He's like, I yeah, hate right. playing against my friends. I, I hate it. They, I know, um, they ended up winning, but it was just like, I was like, that's full. I believe in that stuff. Just yeah. full circle like the world just coming together and yeah. all those pieces connecting. I just, that's what's so cool about coaching is you have those type of stories that you never would have guessed in a million years. Right. Like he was, he was a random, he was a random kid from yeah. North Carolina yeah, that you hired true. to do a volunteer job. Like, and now you got yeah. everyone's in the positions they're yeah. in. And I mean, I think that also just speaks to how you were as a head coach and the job you did preparing and allowing them to grow as coaches, which I think is huge as a head coach and, for people getting assistant coaches, that's what you should look well, for. Well, and like, I'm fortunate. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that, um, you know, I'm someone who does give my staff like that space to grow and to make mistakes and, and that sort of thing. But I also, you know, appreciate them also giving me that grace in return, you know, understanding that it was my first uh, year as a head coach and just the supportive role that they played to, you know, bring ideas forward and make suggestions, um, you know, in a really uh, productive manner of just always trying to get our team better. You know, I think they were both beyond their years in that regard of um, just understanding that and, and how we. Yeah. So how coaches. long at Merrimack did it take to where you felt, I, I don't want to say comfortable, but just of like, okay, we have, we know what we are. This is what our program represents. And um, just this is what Merrimack basketball is for your program. Yeah, I mean, I think that so year one, I just remember, you know, kind of game after game realizing, wow, this team is really good. They're really skilled. They're really big at the guard spot. They have real forwards like, wow, you know, and OK, that is something to aspire towards. But we kind of kept running into a same situation with recruiting where, you know, if, if we wanted to get recruits from some of the schools that the better teams in our league were getting, it was really challenging because those other schools had a tradition of winning. So what's going to be special about us that's going to make recruits want to say, like, that's where I'm going, as opposed to these other opportunities I have. Um, and so we felt like we needed to maybe recruit outside the area, recruit outside of that pool a little bit, um, get better. And then once we were more competitive, we might be able to win some of those recruiting battles. And so that was our strategy. And I think, um, you know, we also said, okay, as we're trying to get, you know, big and skilled and all the things that the best teams in our league are, you know, how can we close that gap a little bit right away? And we thought we might be able to be one of the more athletic teams and recruit um, players that we thought could, could press and play fast. And, uh, so that's what we did. And I think our jump from year one to year two was really, really good. Um, and that, that athleticism and playing faster and, and all of that, um, helped us out and helped us, um, have a really solid season. I think we went from like five wins to 17 wins from year one to year two. Um, 
but that that wasn't like the we've arrived you know because we knew that we still needed to get a lot better and so like year three and four had their challenges of just like thinking we had gotten better but knowing like you know we we still like you know lost some like senior pieces that you know i now know as a head coach there's really no substitute for that really good experienced older player um so then we found ourselves young again and needing to to get good again and get players so i think it took a while um to feel really like all right we know who we are as a team and we've found you know the the right mix of skill sets and pieces that we need to sustain um success um so yeah i think it's one of those things to recognize that it does take time and couple that with like I'm still learning myself as a head coach and what type of players I'm good at coaching. And I definitely, you know, missed the mark sometimes on um, maybe, you know, I learned some different things too about what I need to make sure in recruiting. Like, you know, I, I make sure that I know these things about players because I know that ultimately I'm going to be great at coaching these type of players. And, um, so, yeah, like there was so much, you know, kind of happening at the same time, learning our league, learning what we needed to be successful in our league and learning myself as a head coach and what I needed um, as well. And so, um, yeah, that took a little bit of time. But, you know, um, obviously in those later years at Merrimack, I felt like we had really found our rhythm and um, that, you know, by that point in time, I really knew myself as not just a head coach at Merrimack, but as a head coach. And um, I think something our teams will always be like your team plays really hard um no matter what our talent level is and and then obviously working to continue yeah and to just to touch on what you said about recruiting as a head coach i think and then just from my um from my experiences i always told people when it came to recruit i need to know everything as long as i know everything when they get here i can i can work with them but if i don't know and i just always want to be so heavily involved with it um it's like i have to know what makes them tick, what drives them. If they have any issues, I need to know that issue because then when I'm here, I'm not surprised by anything. And that I think you touched on that point a little right. bit of like just being involved as a head coach in recruiting is so important. Um, yeah. And I think too, like we all want to win that recruit, right? Like we, we want that player, um, but it's just as important for us that like we're transparent with them and that, they really understand our expectations. You said the phrase, no surprises. And I think that's really big for me is, you know, I'm not afraid to lose recruits by, by being really like transparent about how I am as a coach, what my expectations are, because I know that our goals in the long run are to develop players for four years. And in the Ivy league, we don't, we can't get fifth year transfers. That's not something we do in this league. So uh, there's no, uh, well, I'll just go out and get an older experienced kid to like plug in a gap for us that we have in recruiting. We really are committed to developing our players for four years so that they're ready to be those older experienced players for us down the road. And so it is a four year process um, and a four year commitment. And we really want to make sure that we. Yeah. And that's where I that. think just the trans, even like from any 10 to Ivy league is like the any 10 always felt so old. And you kind of said that before is like, you feel like those players at Bentley have been there for six years. And next you're like, I haven't, you've been playing forever. How are you still here? Um, and Ivy league is kind of like that too, because like you said, the transfers, 
just you're seeing it a little bit now because of that COVID year and some some players were able to preserve it. But Ivy League is almost one of those leagues too where just everyone's always old because it's the same groups that kind of st- stay together. Right. Well, you're going to see players in yeah. the Ivy League for four years, so it'll feel like they're old. You know, I think that in reality, we're one of the younger leagues because we don't mm-hmm. have those fifth-year players, you know, on our rosters. Um, and so I, I think in actuality, we're probably younger. But yes, that like it might feel like players are older because in other leagues, maybe they're seeing players that only come in for the last two years or transfer out after a year or two. And there's not a ton of transferring in the Ivy League. Most players, you know, don't want to leave an Ivy League education, um, even if their playing role isn't exactly, you know, what they hope for. Um, and it's a little trickier to get transfers in. Um, and certainly we don't do those graduate transfers. So you're seeing a lot of the, the same faces. Yeah, four, that, four makes, years that makes Gabby perfect Lee. sense. And so that last year, um, I believe it, your last year at Merrimack was the division one year that transitioned to it, correct? What was that like? It was really exciting. I, I remember having a, a decent amount of confidence and I credit that to coming out of the NE10. I just felt like I've been going going up against some really, really talented um, and, and Hall of Fame coaches, uh, coaches that are either in it now or are going to be in it whenever they choose to retire. Um, and just having that confidence that I, I feel like I've seen a lot of great strategy and um, in-game adjustments and felt really prepared just as a head coach. Um, and then also knowing about, you know, I mentioned Shannon Ryan from St. Anselm earlier, knowing that, you know, we had confidence that we had beat some of these teams that had good players um, and had division one players at that. So, uh, and then coupled with another thing we were talking about earlier, Derek, just knowing our squad was getting a little bit older and that was exciting. Um, and so, yeah, there was a decent amount of confidence about our team, but still super unknown. Like, I feel good, but this could really go either way, you know, at the beginning. And, um, but I think that confidence is one of those things that it just like, you know, continues to grow exponentially. You know, you, you have some of it and then it just like, you know, it, it just, you, you go downhill at that point in terms of you're just, your ball's getting bigger and bigger. And, um, so once we were able to have some division one wins, I think that our players, you know, were able to benefit from that snowball effect and, um, you know, just had a, a healthy. Yeah. And I'm trying to think and correct me if I'm wrong. Was your first game against UMass? And did you guys beat them? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought I was remembering yes, that correctly because yep. I remember watching it and I was kind of like, okay, like they're, it's just one of those games where you're like, they're up, they're up. Okay. Like, UMass is going to come back. UMass is going to come back. And then it doesn't happen. And you're like, oh, wow, that was, they played a really good game. Well, they almost did. Um, You know, at one point they, they put a press on us and we had a starting, uh, starting point guard was a freshman. And it was like, you know, I remember Tyler and I joking, like, what do you think Jamie's thinking right now? That was our point guard. And we're like, you know, she's got these like, really tall and, and athletic players, you know, just all over her and it's game one and she's getting, you know, like just smothered. And luckily we were able to overcome that, you know, they, they made a little bit of a run and that was like, anytime there's a, you know, surprise press, it, you know, it was dicey for a second, but um, you know, with youth, of course, that made it uh, just a little dicey, but 
You know, what's so funny, Derek, is I was watching, we played Central Connecticut earlier this year. So as I was preparing for them, I was watching their recent games and that included that they had played against UMass. And so I was watching that game and I love to watch like the full game, uh, you know, on Synergy. And um, sometimes I'll just watch some clips, but I also, you know, like seeing the flow of the game and, and the transitions and things. So um, I'm watching the game and wouldn't, you know, the, the commentators mentioned, they're like, you know, yeah, a couple of years ago, they mentioned uh, that game. So I was texting Tyler. I'm like, they're talking about our game, which, you know, I, I just say that because it was a really special moment for us. And, you know, I think that that was the ultimate. Yeah. Brandon, I don't know how I remember that. I swear I didn't look it up. Just one of those things of like, I remember yeah, watching, is- I don't even remember where I was. And I don't know if I saw the score and I was like, oh, I need to turn this on. And then I turned it on and I watched the rest of the game. But just a basketball junkie I am, I remember that. Um, I just remember yeah, that moment. Are. And I can't, I can't imagine how great of a feeling that was. Um, so you guys end up having a very, um, very strong year. Were you able to play in any postseason tournaments? Because I know there's that transition tournament. But how did the year end? Yeah. So um, we knew going into the year that we wouldn't be able to play in the conference tournament uh, or the NCAA tournament. Um, But we did know that we would be eligible for the WNIT and potentially like um, the WBI because those were two tournaments that weren't NCAA sponsored. And um, so that was something that you know, I remember as soon as we knew we were transitioning to division one, like, let's not let this be something that's used against us. Like, well, they can't even be in the tournament for four years. Um, you know, what can we do? And we really started talking about that of like, okay, so there's one team from a conference that goes to NCAA tournament. Like, that's great. Even when we are eligible, like, we're still going to want to put ourselves in a position to play in any of these three tournaments. You know, it's, it's still going to only be one team that can be there. And once we're eligible, yeah. it doesn't mean it's us. Right. So um, we just stayed really focused on let's try to be one of the best teams in the conference and hopefully get into one of these other tournaments. Um, And so, but that's like when COVID had started and I like can vividly remember being on the phone with my athletic director, um, Jeremy Gibson back at Merrimack because we knew and we had just found out that we were going to get uh, an invite to the WBI. And that was so huge for our program. Um, and we like couldn't wait for it, but it really started to feel like this isn't going to happen, is it? You know, and they hadn't canceled the NCAAs yet. They had, hadn't canceled the WNIT. So um, all of our players were, spring break was starting too. And it, it was just, you know, a perfect storm. All of our players were like, well, when are we finding out about, you know, the tournament and, uh, so, but eventually everything was canceled and we, we did let our players know that we, we would have been getting an invite and, um, you know, wanted them to feel proud about that, but, um, it ended about as well as it could end, but like, you know, like I'm sure everybody has stories like this. We're riding back from our last regular season game and just like feeling grateful and thinking we had a great shot to get an invite and excited about that. And, and not in that moment at all, thinking like that was our last game of the season or for me thinking ever that that was my last game at Merrimack. So yeah, a great, yeah. My, my experience with that was, that was my lone year at SUNY Sullivan um, division two Juco out in New York. And we had a fantastic year. We finished the year ranked eighth in the country. um, First time ever won regional and district playing out of our minds. Like we, 
we had a tight game to win our district, but the, or our region. And then when we won um, our district, like we killed Union College, who had made the final the year before. And it, I just like me and my assistant coaches were like, we're going to, it's just weird. Like you have that feeling as a coach, you know how good your team is. And it was just like, we have a shot to win a national yeah. championship, like an actual shot. Um, and then we, so we make the tournament and we get all that. And then next thing you know, I, I remember our men's coach just being like, this COVID thing's real. This COVID thing is real. And I just like refusing to accept the fact that the tournament was going to be canceled. I'm like, no, it's not right. like whatever. And then yeah. I remember driving, I was driving back from New York city to, um, I was driving back from New York city recruiting. And as I'm driving home, I'm listening to ESPN radio and Rudy Gobert test positive. And I'm like, Oh, there it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Dreams over. And it was crazy because we literally, I sent my players, like the campus, like was instantly shutting down. Everyone had to leave like 24 hours after that. And like, I didn't even yeah. get to say goodbye to my players in person. Like, it was just like a mass text of, Hey, like stop by my office. Don't know if the season's over, but I mean, we kind of knew that the season was over at that point. There's not going to be like a national championship. Um, and then I ended up leaving for UNH like six or six or eight months later, but it was just like a crazy swing. And you kind of went through something that that was your last kind of moment at Merrimack. And then you ended up getting the Brown job. Right. Um, what was that? Yeah. What was that like for you? How did it? kind of end and find out that you're getting the Brown position. Yeah. Well, at that time, you know, um, nobody of course was aware of how long this would last. And, um, so my interview with Brown was of course over zoom at that point, it was, you know, we'd have been doing the zoom thing for a couple months and everybody was pretty good at that. And, accepting of that was the way things were going uh for a little while but still not knowing you know having any idea about an end date so um it was a long day of zoom interviews um but once i had the position um you know i didn't anticipate how long we would be communicating uh you know me as a new coach with my new team over zoom and facetime and things so um you know naturally there was a lot of zoom fatigue and that is so understandable, of course. And at the same time, it's, it's tough because, you know, you're starting to, you want to start your program and, you know, get your culture going and you want that to be a super exciting time and not have it feel like, oh, we got this team zoom at 7 PM after a long day of doing all mm -hmm. my classes on zoom. And, you know, so, um, there were challenges there and, uh, you know, the team was really great with being receptive to that and, um, you know, showing up for those. And, and at the same time, I know that it was challenging and by no means the ideal way to, to get started. Um, and then the Ivy leagues, um, didn't have a season that next season. And we had, um, you know, there were still a lot of restrictions and, and protocols in place. So, um, you know, we weren't just here like training every day, you know, we, we still had the six feet apart, uh, you know, with a mask. And so it really made it harder to, you know, play live, you know, five on five and, and, and work on things like that. Uh, we had a lot of players that weren't even doing their courses on campus. Um, so, and yeah, it was just a really time filled with lots of transition. Uh, uh, sorry, really challenging and interesting time filled with a lot of transition. Uh, so 
definitely excited to be in a very much more uh, return to normal, if you will. So yeah, and what's been the now. what's been kind of the biggest adjustment or just change for you going from Merrimack to Brown? Um, a lot of people do ask, you know, me like, "What's it like coaching Ivy League students?" And uh, you know, my general answer is, you know, they're they're students. You know, they're eighteen to twenty two year old young adults, just like everywhere else that I've coached, you know, they're really just like so many other people I've coached in a lot of ways. And at the same time, you know, that, you know, they are these like super brilliant people going to classes and, and the type of projects and courses they're studying. It's, it's really impressive. So they're obviously really, you know, just like they have this high capacity for learning and that's exciting on the court. I think, um, our, players here um, ask a lot more. They want to know why we're doing things or they're, they're curious, they're inquisitive about, um, you know, what's behind uh, what, why we're doing the things we're doing. And um, I have totally interpreted that as yes, they're totally into my analytical math geek side, which is like, I want to explain from an analytics perspective, everything that we're doing all the time. And um, so I, I think that some of them do do like that. And some of them are probably like, oh, there she goes again. Like she's talking all the numbers again. And uh, maybe it's a little a little much at times. So I should probably tone it down. But um, we, we love to share like our analytics. And um, we know that they're That's really awesome. And recruiting wise, what's been kind of the biggest difference? I mean, clearly, like academically, just what you need to do to get into Brown alone. Doesn't matter if you're a basketball player or a regular student. Right. Um, but what has been the biggest kind of change yeah. and just adjustment in that? Yeah, well, it's really exciting. Like the Ivy League is such a high basketball league. It's so competitive and so many great players. And, you know, you, you see these top 100 players in the country that are choosing Ivy League schools uh, to go play basketball. And so it's really exciting to know that we can be recruiting super high level um, student athletes. And um, as we're continuing to grow the program here at Brown, I feel a little bit like I did at the beginning of my time at Merrimack of like, okay, how are we going to be a little bit different um, so that we can get better and then we can start winning more of these recruiting battles because we also want the best of the best to be here at Brown. Um, and we're recruiting dogs and, and big time ballers, right? So, um, you know, what can we do to to do our own thing a little bit and, and be a little bit different in our approach and be different about what we are promoting about the Brown experience. Um, so that's been exciting and also a little bit familiar. You know, I feel like I've, I've been in this spot before where, um, you know, taking over a team in a league that maybe some other teams have a little bit more of that most recent tradition, um, but knowing that we can think a little outside the box and, and hopefully. And I think for you, you've just, you've established an identity of like, when I see a kid going to Brown or Merrimack in the past, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's uh that kid can go play for Monique. Um, they're going to fit in well with what she's doing there. And I just think you've established that identity, especially regionally. And just now you chance, you have the chance to do it a little bit more nationally at Brown. Um, I think that's only right. going to help you and your program grow. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's great being at, you know, a, a premier institution in the world because 
it's so diverse and certainly there's people from all around the world here. So we should feel confident of, you know, to go and recruit somebody from South Dakota, knowing that they'll meet somebody else from South Dakota when they're here. And, you know, um, like we're kind of in that, you know, where have we not uncovered a stone yet? Where, where are other people not really out there fishing right now? And, and yeah. And even in new England, I mean, with all these prep schools and boarding schools, you have such great students all around, all throughout the region. And I'm sure even just being from a Merrimack is strong academically, but again, Ivy league just kind of gives you the chance to replenish those connections that you use regionally to now maybe just get that different type of student or higher level player recruit. Yeah, absolutely. I think new England has uh, a lot of great talent right here. And as you mentioned, there's so many prep schools that do a great job uh, and, and have some of those older players, you know, they're a little bit older than the, the typical player coming out of high school. So that's helpful. And, um, yeah, we, we certainly want to be great at recruiting. Yeah. We said no time well. getting another um, t- Tilton player down there as soon as you got to Brown. <laughs> um, but, but they were, they play, it's similar yeah, well, to like really, Kara, uh, like you're very similar in just the type of player and the things you demand of players. And like you're saying, dogs, like that's what Tilton has too. So. Yeah, I think that there's, um, you know, in, in recruiting, you know, that you start to have that sort of familiarity with what type of player you're getting out of different programs. And, um, you know, going back to like, you know, just the style that you know that you gel with as a coach. So, you know, definitely there's um, there's certain programs that, you know, we know that we're comfortable with, we're familiar with uh, their style of play and the, the type of players. And that's, of course, through high school and AAU. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely programs that you tend to feel like, you know, they have your type of, of players and people and, and things. So yeah, it's great to have access to so many great awesome, players. And coaches just the last and question I'll kind of ask you is just some advice or one piece of advice for younger coaches out there, or just even players looking to break into the, the business. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, it's really important to like keep trying and to demonstrate your desire to get in like, you know, not just through an initial email, but um, showing up at a practice, asking to come watch a practice, um, taking advantage of, you know, all the colleges that you can close by and, and high school systems. Like I think more and more, um, there's so much available to us now that we can learn so much about the, the game. So, so I think younger people looking to get into coaching have an opportunity to really add value with like, you know, really like understanding different parts of the game, whether it's like, yeah, so I've studied a lot of this team or this league. And, you know, I feel like I've got a great knowledge of, all the trends in European basketball, like something like that would, would stand out to a head coach of like, Oh, cool. Like you watch European basketball. That's awesome. Like we can talk about that. And, um, or it could even be something like, I understand how vital recruiting is. And, you know, I'm really good as a basketball coach, but I'm also great at creating graphics and like just how, how you can add value to the program with your knowledge. I think there's a lot of like free access to learning things 
Um, I think coaches by and large are uh, really have a sharing spirit. And so um, I just know that if anybody asked to attend our practices or for some of my time, um, like I just always say yes to those sort of requests. So I think the more that young coaches can just put themselves out there, um, but to also bring something with them to demonstrate like, you know, here's a skill set that I have um, and that we can have a little bit of a conversation and build that connection um, that would help. But I would say just keep putting yourself out there and keep taking up uh, advantage of the opportunities. No, that's that great advice. To. And once again, I really appreciate you hopping on today. Uh, was great just learning more. I, I felt like I knew your story, but just learning more about your experience and everything else. So just really appreciative and we'll continue to follow you guys. So thanks again. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank this you, was a lot too. of fun. Bye. Great to see you. Bye.